Hello and welcome back to another edition of ESPN Scrum Reset. We've edged another 10 days or so closer to the kickoff of Rugby World Cup 2023. But Christy Doran, um, mate, there's been no shortage of news or talking points or coaches flying off the handle or red and yellow cards. Uh, it's been quite a week or so in the game. Um, and then when you consider the developments in, uh, well, at least the, the Wallaroos social media post for an Australian perspective on Sunday, it's really gone up again. So while we thought we might be in a slightly slower uh, period of the the build up to the World Cup. It's uh, certainly not the case, mate. Welcome back to you. I know uh, you're flying out tomorrow evening. I believe we're recording this on the Monday. Uh, you're out Tuesday evening, so I hope that packing is underway. Um, but uh, we're going to get to Eddie Jones shortly, mate. But uh, how are preps going on your end? Preps haven't really started. I'll tell you that. And anyone that knows me knows that preparation is not something that I'm particularly good at. Um, uh, you know, I'm probably 15 minutes late to this podcast. So that tells you all you need to know. But that's true. Um, <laughs> uh, look, it's exciting. I'm excited about going over to France, and I'll tell you that. And the Wallabies have been there now for three, four days, and what a dramatic, explosive send off they had. I can tell you, I don't think my uh, departure from Sydney International Airport will be nearly as um, I don't know memorable. It won't be. There, there won't be any world's worst press conferences i'll tell you that i'll um I'll, I'll slip straight through i think yeah not so much drama i don't think uh we we should expect with your uh departure through uh, sydney international airport uh mate that's where we're going to start this week um clearly just an incredible uh serve from eddie jones to the gathered media um last thursday uh i guess it was thursday morning still wasn't it um They'd had the farewell event, which you and I were both at here in uh, here in Sydney on the Wednesday afternoon at Dremoyne Oval. Clearly not great timing, given it was three or four hours out from kickoff in the Matildas, and that was very much the focus in Australian sport last week, and, and rightfully so. But um, Eddie, wow. I, I, I mean, it's, it's certainly um, not new territory for Eddie, um, these kind of explosions, if you like, but I don't think we've ever seen one quite like this. Um, you were there. Just talk us through how it all unfolded because not everyone will have seen the full, I guess it was probably 10 or 12 minutes of the press conference, but clearly there were some fairly reasonable questions asked of Eddie around Quade Cooper and Michael Hooper and, of course, their omissions from the World Cup squad. But he switched very quickly. Um, just take us inside Sydney Airport that day and and how it unfolded from your perspective. Well, I think you almost have to scroll back a few hours because it was early Thursday morning that I'd been told that Brad Davis had quit and he, uh, the official uh, confirmation came through shortly after I published a story about that. But the, the the justification was personal reasons. Now, you can read into that as you like, but whenever there's a departure, there's uh, personal reasons. So that doesn't tell you the, the truth. There, there, there was... Uh, Brad Davis wasn't enjoying the environment that was there and he's not the first and he certainly won't be the last coach that's not enjoyed an environment under an Eddie Jones's uh, led coaching team. Um, so to me, the natural first question, and, and we uh, we saw the Wallabies come through, jump off the Murray's bus and and you were greeted by a bunch of blokes wearing some bigger Cobras and 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 after they were checking through, I saw Eddie Jones and we were walking over to to where the press conference was or the doorstop really was going to be held. And I I referred to him there as as Indiana Jones. But but the the first question I thought which needed to be asked was a confirmation: of, Is this a blow? Brad Davis departing all right on the eve of the World Cup. It, it is a blow. He was pretty strong and a bit of a uh, a bit of a slap as well, where he, he says that the coaching structure is going to be improved. It's going to get better, which is quite a remarkable comment to make when you lose a coach on the eve of, of, of the departure. But once those questions very quickly had changed to Michael Hooper, Quade Cooper, and reasonable questions because uh, there you know, there'd been reports had been disgruntlement around how did actually this side and the, those that found out that they were in and those that were found out that they weren't in, how did that all get told and the information there? Because 
clearly a couple and quade cooper hadn't spoken to eddie jones and 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 i think that's a big thing when a bloke who's played nearly 80 test matches for australia made his debut back in what was it uh 08 07 in, in padua in italy it's italy off the bench yep yeah a guy that's given a lot to australian rugby for him not to pick up the phone says his things aren't great um and I thought it was reasonable, the probing. Did it go on too long, perhaps? But there was a swift change of Eddie Jones's demeanour from being uh, probably jovial, a bit positive, um, to being incredibly frustrated and irked by some of the questions that were coming as they're about to leave. And uh, to me, it represented a man that was stressed, uh, that there is a huge, huge task at hand, a rebuilding job, uh, a lot of moving pieces, perhaps a change in the direction of the Wallabies under Eddie Jones in terms of where this is a smash and grab job to win to we're not quite sure. We don't probably, we probably don't think we can win. We're putting some eggs in this basket, but we're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of, of over 2025, 2027 and looking at the events that will be on Australian shores. And there was a shift in that rhetoric as well. So I, I, you know, coupled with the departure of Brad Davis last week, there's reasons to be for him to be uh, to be stressed, but I, it, it showed a man that's probably you know realistically he's aging, 63, a guy that wasn't completely in control when he generally is. Yeah, there's probably no need for us to rehash uh, across the squad selections. We covered that off in the last pod on the the Thursday of the World Cup squad announcement, but a little bit more context I think is probably. Um, worth going into here, particularly from a journalist perspective and our dealings with Eddie this year. Now, we may have mentioned this previously, but um, we were part of a crew who went to the Captain Cook here, uh, Captain Cook Hotel rather, um, in Sydney. I think it was probably sometime in is it, May. Is the end, yeah, it might have been the week before the, the, the quarterfinals yeah, Super Rugby. Exactly right. So that would kind of put it around late May. Um, and it was all, everything was on the record by, by one line. Um, and we all sat down and, and Eddie came in all guns blazing that day and said, basically you boys are part of the problem. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix this? But his, um, his belief at that point in time was that the journalists in this country, which you and I have been a part of now for, um, going on 10 years, um, was that we hadn't been hard enough on this team. Now, we all kind of looked across at each other and thought, Eddie, clearly you haven't been reading a lot um, because we've been, every person in this room, bar maybe the individual who writes for Rugby Com AU, and that was largely because he's hamstrung by what he can produce. But everyone else at one stage or another, and more likely on multiple, multiple occasions, has stuck the boot into this team and clearly with grounds to do so. So to see him come out on the flip side here and try and, I guess, you know, rattle the cage, rattle, rally the, put the rallying cry out if you like to, to get behind this team instead of, you know, being continually observed in, in negativity. Um, that was a real, you know, as you say, it screamed of a man who was just starting to, to lose the plot a little bit, who was stressed, as you said, that was the thing that, that stood out for me. And, and we spoke about, you know, going back to that world cup squad briefly around his change in tune around the, the captaincy, uh, I originally came in and I need to see these guys. And now it's like, well, no, I, I was brought in to change this team up and, and this is what I'm doing. So there's a bit of flip flopping from Eddie here. And uh, you know, a bloke who's come back and, and overseen a zero and four record um, in his four tests in charge so far, it's little wonder really, but um, it just felt a little bit aggressive is the wrong world, but certainly over the top. Oh, absolutely. And, I caught a few people that he's quite close to to ask whether or not they thought that that reaction was a man representing stress or a bit of a game because with Eddie Jones, there's always a game within a game, generally speaking. But I think that he did lose control on his hand. Media manager uh, looked stunned like a mullet, I thought. He was he was red in the face, didn't quite know how to handle that one. And you could understand because it got out of a hand and what it did do was was create headlines from television programs to uh, websites across the world, uh, across not just Australia but the world. And for a, a nation that's been gripped by the football world cup, the women's football cup, it was quickly returned to hang on a moment. There is a rugby world cup. Our men are going there now, and 
you know what? It is us against the world because you guys don't rate us at all. And that's you know, that's what he said. You've all written us off. Well, just a, a little example on that. Uh, the Twitter post, we all know which way Twitter's heading at the moment, or X, sorry, Elon, excuse my um, faux pas there. That video, uh, we had about two minutes and 20 seconds of uh, of the press conference. And it, as of this morning, done 133,000 views. And that's on a medium that supposedly is on its way out. So, um, I, I mean, I'm not surprised it got picked up in, in such great numbers. Um, but what do you think it did to, I guess, the wider Australian rugby community and particularly the supporter base um, that's out there? We know that the Wallabies are always well supported at World Cups, right? Mm-hmm. I think they had the second most fans travel to Japan. I'm not sure the exact figures of where they rank this time around, potentially not as many given it's a little bit further to travel, but you can guarantee there will be, you know, multiple patches of gold um, in the stadiums across France when we get underway next month. Um, Is it all in with Eddie, do you think from a wider feeling or is, do you think that mood has shifted now and that's, well, this bloke is just slowly losing the plot here. Yeah. It's hard to know, but what it has done is there's, the nation, uh, the rugby nation, and those that follow rugby very closely, I think, are on tenterhooks. They, they don't know which way this is going. They, there is a real edge, a real concern. Uh, people are even talking about the Wallabies not making it out of the pools, and and that's probably showcases where the Wallabies are at at the moment. There is uh, no one quite knows, and. Eddie has really rocked, shaken the tree, and perhaps that was needed to be shaken. I think it probably did. But when you take out some of the key guys that have been there for a long, long time, key guys that people um, like your Michael Hoopers, like your Quad Coopers, they're the only, you know, there's probably only a handful of blokes in Australian rugby at the moment where people outside of Australian rugby know who the Wallabies are, and that's a Michael Hooper and a Quaid. People outside of that would have thought, geez, the team's changing. I've never heard of this bloke. And you've taken out these guys uh, that have been such a crucial cog of the team for so long. What are we doing? Um, I, I still think that Eddie Jones is a meticulous planner. That's He wouldn't have come back and he wouldn't have... He's, he's not waving the white flag here, I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination. And that's important to remember. The Wallabies and Rugby Australia definitely need to go well at this World Cup. They can't just think about what they're hosting in four years' time because things like sponsorship, things like winning over the next generation, things like women getting paid in rugby, all that rests on at the moment, really, the Wallabies doing well, including potentially the the idea of a private equity bid and how much they might be able to bring in. So there is so much at stake here for it to be to 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 go. Yeah, you know what? If we get out, if we don't get out of the pools, or if we get knocked out of the quarters, no, no worries. Is there any sense, Christy? And we're thinking forward here. And I know you spoke to Hamish McLennan. I think late last week I spoke to him at the fan day on the Wednesday, and I put it to him. Is Eddie the man for this job no matter what? Saying basically, if they lose in the pools here, is 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 he gone? Um, which you can imagine with any previous coach in Wallabies history, that would absolutely be the case. Now, Hamish, he's kind of tied to Eddie Jones' success or, or lack thereof um, because he was the man who moved heaven and earth to get him back um, after he was sacked by England and put those wheels in motion and, and virtually ruled from the top with an iron fist and said, this is happening like it a lump it. Um, he's clearly going to stand by his man, um, but made the comments to me that Eddie, Eddie is rewiring this Wallabies team. And as you, I think, put on last week's podcast, other figures you'd spoken to at Rugby Australia around, made the comment about uh, we're working backwards from 2027. So it almost appears as though, you know, this shift is now out there that, that Eddie's come in and decided, well, I'll have a crack at this to start with and see what I've got to work with. And we all knew it was going to be on borrowed time. Um, and perhaps they might get to France and be a completely different team or at least resemble that one that we saw in the first half in Bledisloe 2 in Dunedin. Um, time will tell. But clearly there's a lot hanging on this, not just from a Wallabies perspective. You mentioned the private equity. Um, this goes right up through all levels of the game. And I just wonder, is that starting to to catch up with Eddie as well? And do you think that this came out of him naturally, or did he go into this press conference thinking, I'm going to light these boys up? 
Oh, look, if you're so difficult to get into Eddie Jones's brain, isn't it, to know what he's thinking. But you're right in some of the comments in terms of the success or lack thereof. Hamish McLennan will be kind of thrown into the same sort of um, circle there. If he does well, Hamish looks like a genius. If he doesn't, he won't be remembered as, as perhaps the saviour of Australian rugby. So there is high stakes all over the place. Do I think that he went in there looking for a fight? I think Eddie Jones is always going to make a press conference interesting, isn't he? So I don't think he 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 minds. Uh, I, I did enjoy the fact that he said that he had to wash himself off to to rid himself of the negativity that was coming his way from from the journos. I don't think it's the smartest idea in the world to 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 have fights with journalists, particularly ones which you could be working for for a long, long time or with rather for a long, long time. Um, but, yeah, as I said from the start, I thought he did lose control somewhat. Um, clearly, he was irked early on, and it continued that way. Uh, would he have reflected on his press conference over the next 24 hours? I think he would have. But you're not looking for an apology, nor is he going to give it either. So I think he can throw that out. I think he would have reflected. There's an opportunity. They've just been in France, or they're in France. They've just been at a, uh, a, a, like a war memorial. Um uh, paying their respects, probably learning more about the history that, that took place there in the, in the respective wars. Um, and this is a, a great opportunity for them to get closer, to understand, to reflect, to move forward and and really um, come together because that's what they're going to need to do over the next seven weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, if they're going to go the journey. Just before we park this one, uh, there was one question in particular that, that stood out to me, and it was around whether Michael Hooper had uh, had to ring up Wallabies team management himself to find out if he had made the team. Now, in your information, your sources, is that accurate or is that wide of the mark? I think it's wide of the mark. Um, and and that may have been one of the questions that set Eddie off. And you, if you actually look at the footage of it, he did look a little bit surprised by that comment, I think. I think he said, not from my knowledge. Um, my understanding is that it, it did take quite a while for him to find out, but Eddie has spoken, Eddie spoke to him, but also that Eddie spoke to, uh, has spoken to him on several occasions since. Uh, and did he need to ring anyone else? I don't believe so. Uh, that that doesn't mean others didn't, uh, but but Michael Hooper, you know, a person of 125 tests, most capped Wallabies captain, I don't think he needed to call anyone, and nor does he actually have any complaints and issues with how it went. From my understanding, I haven't spoken to him personally, but from what I'm told, uh, yeah, he's got no no issues. He will be ready if called upon, uh, and. Yeah, is he in Australia for playing for Australia? A no, but does that mean that there will, won't be a call up? Uh, no, not necessarily. Who knows what will happen over the next week? Australia A clearly are playing against Portugal. The Wallabies will play against France, despite some uh, frustrations, some uh, some politics at play regarding the sum that the Wallabies will be paid from the French rugby union uh, and. Yeah, that that there's probably still a bit of play there. I think it's one point seven million dollars that would have been promised by the previous leadership. Um, uh, whether or not they get that full sum, who knows? I'm not sure if it was in writing, but but those two matches, uh, there could be injuries at, at play. You almost expect that there will, there will be. be. So, yep. so you can't necessarily put rule and put a line through anyone. Um, from getting a call up, uh, even from wide places that you might not have even anticipated. And worth mentioning too that Fraser McWright said he had spoken with with Michael Hooper at least once. I think it might have been a, a couple of times and had wished him well. Uh, and so there might have been a you might have seen a post going around on social media saying that Hooper had been overlooked because of uh, overseeing a toxic culture within the camp. And I can't expect uh, that anything would be further from the truth on that front. Uh, anyone who's had spent any time with Michael Hooper over the years or could certainly watched even half a game of uh, Wallabies rugby in that time would see that that's um, scarcely believable. And I, I certainly don't entertain it for a second. Um, you mentioned there the Wallabies this weekend, mate. Um, France on Sunday uh, at Stade de France, uh, real 
nice precursor to the World Cup, clearly, and an opportunity to to get a win, which would be really something. Um, France have been going through their their warm up matches, a couple of games against Scotland, and then one against Fiji on the weekend. Um, which uh, the Fijians gave them a really good run. It's certainly not a, a full strength French outfit, and we all lament the loss of uh, Ramon Intermac last week. Um, sadly, he won't be there. Um, but this, I guess, another opportunity to fine tune preparations. It'll be interesting to see whether Eddie goes with the team that he's looking to play against Georgia. Uh, what will be what seven days? No, no, two weeks later, rather, um, just under two weeks, twelve days later. Um, or whether this is a chance to give your Ben Donaldson's a go, you saw the RC Vinavalu's a go, um, your Matt Phillips, um, Zane Nongor, another test. Could these be the guys that he still wants to get a little bit of uh, rugby into? Clearly, Ben Donaldson needs the run, right? You would think that if he doesn't start, then he's certainly got to be on that bench. Um, but um, just interesting to see what kind of lineup, what kind of 23 Eddie rolls out this week. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty much a week out from the game. Now they will probably have a strong idea of the players at this point in time, I would imagine who's, who's going to feature in that. It's the, the last opportunity. I, I believe that there will be no Wallabies that will feature for Australia. A. 26 have gone over for Australia. A. Um, 15 players will then 15 Australians will feature within the barbarians going forward. But, but regarding the barbarian, uh, regarding the, the, the Wallabies test, Eddie Jones was, said twice it's a practice match um so i can't imagine that the wallabies will have anywhere close to a full strength side um and people i think you're right ben donalds will, will feature heavily Car- uh, carter gordon had had a calf niggle and uh and- well th- this is the other thing right this Carter's carrying not only the calf but he's got a bit of bruising i think is it somewhere around the knee that can rear its head certainly with just another knock at any stage well, and that's the thing. So, look, he he hadn't uh, he hadn't trained that much throughout that period when they went up to Darwin. Ben Donaldson was spending a lot of time at ten, pretty much all, but from my understanding. Um, so I can see him coming in. I can see. Would you want to risk uh, an Angus Bell, for instance, at loose head? You maybe you maybe give him half an hour off the bench, uh, perhaps. Would you want to risk a James Slipper, who my understanding is. And I still has some concerns around his Achilles. I don't think it's necessarily he's he's getting older, and and, and uh, it, it's been a a tough slog, I'd imagine, over the last few weeks with the training uh, reps. But great off, and even a Taniela Tupo, are you going to risk him and play him for fifty minutes? No. So we've got to put it into context about how significant this game is, but it certainly will play a part in their build up. Um, but I, I can definitely see some guys, some some younger guys getting opportunities. What an occasion, firstly, Paris, Stade de France, um, last game before the World Cup, opportunity to, to press your uh, selection case. Uh, you know, will Skelton, will he be captain for that match? Will he be played? Um, quite possibly, you'd, you'd think, give him some, another, another run. Um, he seemed to be getting better with every match, but I saw Richie Arnold last week and I didn't interview him, but I just had a casual yarn to him and he said he was back. Like, you know, he's he's not had a break for a long, long time. A week after winning the, the French top 14 final, he's back in the, in Australia. So it's, they'll of course lift for it, but it's, it's been, it's, it's the start of uh, a 10 week block now to the final. And that's huge. And Yes, as for as for some of the other players like Fraser McWright, you would imagine will get another opportunity. Um, is there a chance for a Lange Gleeson to get uh, some runs on the board himself? Like yep. Robbie Valentini's played a lot. I, I would think that some of the guys that haven't featured that heavily, yeah, I, I think you can expect to see them. Just we'll say one thing about Will Skelton. I've never seen him look as fit as he did than when you and I stood next to him uh, at Sydney or stood beneath him rather next to him uh, at Dremoyne Oval last week. Uh, just looks incredibly fit, uh, mobile, lean. Um, I'd like to know what his playing weight would be because I think it'd be well down on potentially what he's usually playing for at La Rochelle. He looked like he was really enjoying the benefits of some uh, some hard training sessions and a lot of conditioning. So keep an eye out Agreed. for that one. The other big story, Christy, last week, uh, Owen Farrell's, Red card fiasco, I think we could probably call it because 
That's what it was. Um, I I couldn't believe how this unfolded last week. Um, certainly had no issue with uh, how his tackle was ruled with this TMO trial bunker, which we know with the off-field review, um, which we've seen previously down here in the Southern Hemisphere. It's in play for the warm-up matches and still to hear whether it will be used at the World Cup. So um, certainly the Georgian referee, Nicker, Amish Kelly, I'm sorry, I probably butchered that. It's not quite there, but he's an excellent referee and great to see a referee coming through from a country like Georgia and emerging into that top tier. Um, I thought he and the TMO handled it really well. Uh, it was a yellow card or field referral for a shoulder to the head of Tane Basham, the Welsh back rower, and just about similar to every other illegal hit we've seen Owen Farrell do in his career to date. Now, put all that aside. I could not believe that when this hit went to an uh, independent disciplinary panel, which was all Australian, uh, mind you, a couple of former Wallabies on there, David Croft and and John Langford among them, then reduce this down to a yellow card and and let Owen Farrell off. With everything we've seen in the game over the past, or certainly since the last World Cup, and and I myself, I'll, I'll freely admit that I wrote a column in Japan saying that rugby is losing the balance between between soft and safe. And that was more on the back of probably the Semi-Karevi incident against Wales. And and even at that stage, the Reese Hodge tackle where there was head-on-head contact between himself and I think it might have been Yato in the opening game against Fiji. Now, I, I probably, I don't regret that column because I don't think we all understood how head-on-head contact was going to be ruled into the future. I think we've all got our melons around that, excuse the pun, moving forward. But this was a clear-cut red even before that. It was shoulder to the head, direct contact at force. There was no wrap. It was a shoulder charge. And yet they come up with some mitigation that Jamie George ever so slightly pushed Bastrom off his line. And the thing that stood out for me is that we're being told that tacklers have got to lower their body height, right? Bend at the hips. There was just no bend at the hips from, from Owen Barrel. I was astounded that this was downgraded to a yellow card. Now, World Rugby... I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this pod will have seen have appealed this decision. Um, it will be going back to the judiciary, I think, sometime in the next couple of days. Expect that Owen Farrell will be rubbed out for at least um, three of England's pool games, maybe four, and, and not seen for the knockout stage. I may have said it all there, mate, but I, I was flabbergasted last week at how this played out. I think you have said it all, but there's, there's a one rule for Owen Farrell and another rule for the refs. That's what it seems like, and Fair play to his barrister. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It goes against everything World Rugby's been trying to eradicate for a long, long time. And that and that's the really surprising thing, that if this was a one-off, if this was rugby league, you would expect it. But this is rugby union, and you don't expect those sorts of things to occur. The mitigation was was marginal at best, and, and that's all it was. You're right in pointing to the fact that at no point in time Owen Farrell was dipping or had his legs... Um, bent at all he was upright it was a red card and I'm not as confident as you are that it will be overturned um, from a a world rugby um, uh, who have now referred it that have come in I'm not as confident I I do hope that it is one thing speaking to a lot of people is that they just want consistency don't they and and it's if there's one good thing that it's come from this or two good things one i think the entire world rugby community thinks that it's a red card once upon a time people wouldn't have thought that but secondly it's good that it's not during the world cup and it's before the world cup and that something like this can have the the spotlight on it and that whatever happens during the world cup we don't have a controversial moment that potentially uh changes the course of a game whether or not they're yellow or red or someone get rubbed out for three, four games or, or, or no games. Because you know, the, the player itself, the Welsh player, from my understanding, didn't play a week later, was still showing signs of concussion, et cetera. You know, what happens if that's in a quarterfinal, which then sees that player miss the semifinal? It, you know, it's hugely significant. And that's why these sorts of things are so, so important. You can't go out there and then put a player at risk uh, because it's not just the here and the now, it's, it's the future short term and long term, as we know, with some of the horrific kind of things that are happening with with uh, Alzheimer and dementia and the rest of it from CTA. And don't get us wrong. We understand that at, at the game's highest level, 
clearly what this is that that you know moments like this change you know in, in the flick of a uh, click of the wrist, right? Uh, click of the fingers, rather. That um, these are happening. These are high speed, high impact um, incidents. That you know, players are going to make mistakes. And oh, but as I'm you done. say, as you say, Brucey, though there wasn't any 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 mitigation here. They've come from a long way. There's no late turn twist. There's there's no mitigation. And that and that's the big issue here. That if this stays, if this stands, this decision, then that's the precedent, right? That any person who makes a similar tackle is going to walk in and go. He's Owen Farrell. He got off it. There was no bend of the hips. I didn't bend my hips. Tell me what the difference is here, right? Like, uh, and and that's been a lot of the feedback. Not so much on that exact comparison, but around uh, George Moala playing for for Tonga got a a ten week ban down to five or six, I think, for a lifting tackle. Um, that you know was a bad tackle, no doubt, and deserved a red card. But um, he didn't have the high priced RFU lawyer who you know fair play to him. He was only just doing his job. He's He's obviously managed a su- supreme legal argument here. And while I don't agree with how it was ruled, um, he did exactly what he's paid to do and, and get um, his player uh, off the red card. But that's why I, I think it's on on World Rugby. And I'm glad that they've appealed it. And I'll be intrigued to see what the decision, uh, how the decision goes on appeal. Um, but um, we'll find out, I guess, in the next couple of days. So it's important actually to bring up Simon Rawalui, who of course we know through his time in Shield Australian Rugby, was part of Michael Checker's coaching staff at the last World Cup. He he did actually respond to quite a few people in, on on social media on Twitter by saying that uh, that Pacific Island people do have reasonable representation uh, at, when they when they challenge these things. I can't remember the exact specifics, but you can find it on on Simon Rowell-Louis' Twitter or X, whatever you call it these days. But um encourage you to look at that if you if you want to know a little bit more because, yeah, it's I don't think it's um the fact that they just don't have any legal representation. World Rugby now covers some of the costs for that. And then we learn on the – well, we don't learn on the weekend. We see on the weekend um, Billy Vinopola, uh, England number eight, uh, similar incident. Again, slightly different is that it was a two-player tackle but still armed by his side. Uh, collects the, the Irishman uh, in the head. Yellow uh, for an off-field review comes back red. No great surprise there. And now they're facing the very real prospect that they'll be without their their first choice number eight, although I see a fair bit of feedback out there and uh, among English fans and, and journalists perhaps that this isn't the worst result in the world. Um, I don't know whether they're thinking that around how um, uh, Ford went on the weekend Um for deputising in at number 10. They've obviously got Marcus Smith in that. George Ford, sorry, I just forgot his uh, first name momentarily. They've obviously got Marcus Smith in that squad as well. Um, England have got some big problems, right? And they're not just uh, confined to um, the annals of uh, of meeting rooms where Owen Farrell's and, and Billy Vinopola's cases will be will be heard. Um, this is a team that uh, attack looks virtually non-existent. Um, they're copying a lot of heat for their players celebrating uh, miscued lineouts from opposition teams or turnovers at the breakdown or, or whatever else. Um, Penalties, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see. I, I do wonder, I recall back to 2007 and think of how dreadful they were uh, largely throughout that tournament. Um, did a job on the Wallabies uh, in Marseille, I think it was, through a powerful scrum uh, and the kicking of Johnny Wilkinson. Um I'm a little bit concerned. Well, not concerned. I guess if they do that and they get through to a final, well, well played to them. But um, gee, Steve Borthwick, he might be under more heat than than Eddie Jones. Yeah, there's a couple of things to potentially unpick there. I think a loss of Billy Bonapolo would be pretty significant. This is a guy that played in big, big games for at both club level and international level. Uh, number eights, you know, you can see the difference. A, a quality number eight can do. And you think about guys like Dwan Vermeulen, who I just think is unbelievable. But having a powerful number eight who's been there and done it before is important. As for the the 10 situation and Noah Farrell, whether or not he's there or not, Borthwick's got himself into... It's an interesting one because whilst everyone in Australian rugby and Wallabies fans are thinking, oh, far out, we've got two 10s here and one of them's not really even a 10. He's a you know, hybrid 10-15 it's pretty obvious who Australia's number 10 is going to be in the World Cup unless there's injury. For England, though, there's three genuine candidates, Ford, Smith, Farrell. And 
uh, what's the old saying? Too many chefs in the kitchen. And I almost feel like it's empowered Carter Gordon going, you're the 10, back yourself, trust yourself. We're not going to be turning to a different direction. Look at England. There's tension, there's friction. Every every person wants to be playing a game. No one wants to be on the bench and no one wants to be out of the squad. And you would imagine that there'd be some frustrated figures when they're not getting, when they're not in the team. You know, what does Eddie Jones always talk about building the squad? First 15, then he picks his last five or so figures and they've got to be so central to the team harmony and the rest of it. That'll be fascinating. But I also think we're seeing a little bit with Steve Borthwick here, very different going from being a club coach to an international coach. And yes, Borthwick won uh, first season with with Leicester, a marvellous job, job, but it is a very different environment from going full-time coaching over a 30-odd week period in the English Premiership to getting your hands on these guys for a short burst where you've got to please a lot of people from a different club, bring them all together. And in addition to that, Borthwick, unbelievable assistant from what we're all told but he's now going to have that helicopter view of overseeing everything and that is quite different to being analyzing being an assistant coach they're different things chalk and cheese in many respects so he's going to find out a lot about himself from a international coaching perspective and there's not only is there big pressure on Hamish McLennan but people like Bill Sweeney of the RFU too. And just going back to the tackling space for for a second, it's a, a good point around Bill Sweeney, Sweeney rather, that the RFU have been one of the leaders in, in trying to influence community rugby around tackle height as well and having a trial. And you may have even seen some some vision of of uh, ball carriers or probably forwards getting penalised for lowering their body height going into a tackle uh, and not being giving uh, you know enough surface area for defenders when they dip their hips to be able to tackle and being penalised as a result. So that's how the, the shifting nature of, of the game and, and where world rugby wants to get to. And the RFU have been leaders of this. We know the fallout last year when it was dropped on announced on the community game, a lot of the clubs and schools and um, semi-professional even, I think complained around that would virtually been no consultation with anyone from that, uh, those parts of the game in, in England. And that was a real concern at the time. And they're the ones that are trialing this. And then at the top level, you see this, uh, happening uh, all in the name of making a safer game and, um, you know, improving it. Uh, player safety is the, the number one priority. And then we see instances like this. So you can understand why there would be a frustration at the grassroots level as well uh, with how that Farrell piece played out last week. And certainly that was the feedback that we got from on ESPN anyway, on our socials, the ESPN scrum, that even the English were like, no, this is this is wrong. This is just wrong. Yeah, exactly. And and this isn't going to change anytime soon. We're going to see uh, over the coming years reform right across the world, aren't we, when it comes to tackle height and so forth. Uh, so strap yourself in, but fingers crossed throughout this World Cup, there's always going to be controversies, isn't there? But you just want consistency and we want it from the outset, not just in, in a final or in a semi-final, right the way through. And uh, the good thing is all those international referees are going to be there in the one spot and, and they should be briefed around what the expectations are. And, you know, coaches and the rest captains, they will generally speaking always have meetings with referees in the week leading up to it. So, you, you know, at the end of the day, they've got to lower their bottle, body tackle height. And if you put yourself and run the gauntlet and put yourself in a position where you're going to get penalised, you've got to bear the consequences, don't you? You sure do. You sure do. Just quickly, um, we knew players were going to uh, miss this World Cup through injury. It's it's no good. You don't wish it on on anyone from from any nation of the, the twenty that are going to be in France. But it really feels like Roman Intermac, while they have got some depth there at number ten, um, uh, Fabian Galte, uh, that this is the biggest you know biggest omission so far. The, the biggest knock to anyone's squad having such an integral part of their starting 15 go down. And not only that, that he plays with Antoine Dupont at Toulouse. They've got that cohesion. They've got that combination. Um, it feels not, you know, terminal to their chances by any stretch of, of the imagination, but it's a, it's a significant blow. Yeah, and you can't understate that, can you? We, we saw him step up in the French top 14 final, superbly take and try to uh, break the hearts of La Rochelle fans 
quality player, been there for a while. He's had a couple of injuries over the four-year World Cup cycle, but he's been a guy that has been alongside uh, Anton Dupont for a long time. Uh, the combinations, the cohesion there, you wouldn't want to lose many more injuries. But we all know the All Blacks did it in 11, and if you're good enough, you know, you know, you've got to have to have depth, and they've got some serious depth France. So uh, that, that'll be good. I still don't think uh, New Zealand could very well, and I think they. my prediction is New Zealand beat France in the first match, but they end up losing to New Zealand. Uh, they end up losing in the final to France. So uh, I think this is going to be a long tournament and injury is going to play a big, big part in it. Uh, one injury, yep, but it's whether or not you get multiple. And the same way if the Wallabies were to lose a Taniola too, if Bo now off the back of an Alan Toa, I think that would mean that any great hopes of going deep wouldn't necessarily be there. But uh, these there, there, there's going to be players, and you're right to say that you'd never want to see some of the best talent miss it, particularly a home tournament. It's a, it's a blow for the World Cup, but, geez, it's a moment to celebrate who's going to be there. Absolutely. It's a pleasure now to welcome back uh, ESPN colleague and women's rugby uh, women's rugby journalist, uh, water Australian rugby journalist, of course, as well, Brittany Mitchell. Um, Britt, welcome back. Uh, great to to bring you back on at this point. Um, some big news. Well, I guess a, a big development in in Australian women's rugby on Sunday afternoon with the Wallaroos all uniting to post a, a fairly uh, severe message directed at Rugby Australia. Um, just in what had happened uh, in, in recent times and more so, I guess, building on the back of the momentum of the Matildas as well. And uh, I'll just read out the the notice now, the the post that they, a lot of them shared collectively across um, Instagram and Facebook and various other places, Twitter. Um, and I quote, you told us flying anything beyond economy was too costly. Then you flew the Wallabies business class on a trip shorter than ours. You told us full-time contracts were in the pipeline, that there wasn't enough money to keep the men in the game let alone us. Then you paid $5 million for an NRL player. You said our program would go professional and our coach would be full-time. How many coaches has Eddie taken to the World Cup? You continually say we don't have enough resources and yet we all saw the World Cup send off for the Wallabies. We've seen the impact that sport, that women's sport has had on the Australian sporting landscape thanks to the Matildas. It's time for the chairman, board and CEO to prioritise the future of Australian women's rugby and allocate adequate resources. It's time to acknowledge that we are not promoted equally, even on a free platform. The future of our games hangs in the balance. It's your move, Rugby Australia. Now, as I said, that was uh, put out across multiple uh, social media accounts, not just the Wallaroos, but the wider uh, Super W cohort and got uh, immense support from the wider Australian sporting public as well. Now, part of the problem with this, um, not problem with the post, but how this this situation evolved yesterday was that there was a a TikTok shared um, online via, I think it was the girlfriend of, of Carter Gordon around her experience of coming up to Sydney for uh, the Wallabies farewell to farewell her, her boyfriend, which is absolutely she's entitled to do. Um, but an allegation that this had been paid for by Rugby Australia. Um, now this is troubling if that is the case because of all those points that is uh, that I just pointed, I just read out in that message from, uh, the Wallaroos collectively. Um, we're not exactly at the bottom of this just yet. I think an investigation's been opened, but what is your information uh, revealed today? Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing me back. I, uh, unfortunate circumstances, I guess, but um, it's created buzz and it's got people talking about women's rugby, which is exactly what these girls would have wanted. And um, following up on a, f a few people this morning um, within RA, and and as you stated, there's there's already an investigation underway into where that money came from to pay for this trip, whether it was sponsorship money that went into it, or whether RA found some money, some backdraw somewhere to pay for this. Because let's be honest, there's they're scrimping around at the moment. So for them, if they've managed to find some money to send a wag up to Sydney, or let's maybe not use that terminology, uh, send a girlfriend up to Sydney to farewell her boyfriend. And um, just even the tone of the TikTok just really comes across pretty, you know, it's a, it's a bit 
gross really the the tone of it all almost makes it sound like she's better than the women who play the game for Australia and I, I know looking at across a lot of the social posts um a lot of the players sharing that video felt that way that um she was deserving of the money over the players and it's as you said it's really riled up a fair few people um there's a lot of players who are really angry right now and, and so they should be they've been they've been patient they have been they've been patiently waiting for the RA to do the right thing to provide the resources um they haven't come and it's getting a bit ridiculous now. You you see Grace Hamilton, who's now playing in the NRLW season. She will come back to the Wallaroos uh, for later this year for the WXV tournament. Um, Grace Kemp has already um, moved over to NRLW, cut her ties from the, the Wallaroos because there's resources, there's money um, going into NRLW. So... Um, and as Millie Boyle, who is a former Wallaroos player, current NRLW player, said today on the Big Breakfast podcast, uh, you know, there's other codes, there's other sports, there's other teams who are doing the right thing. Uh, and for RA to sit back and just expect these women to sit around waiting, it's it's very stupid of them, realistically. Um, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of players who will just move straight across to the likes of NRLW because there's money there, there's progress, there's programs, there's resources, there's everything that these girls have been waiting for is being done. Um, and as they brought up, the Matildas, uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of the players brought up was the Wallabies shared a video of the players at camp watching the the Matildas play, which is fantastic. A lot of uh, teams have been doing that and it's great to see everyone get behind the um, the Matildas um, but at the same time the Wallaroos were playing their opening test match of the year the Wallabies were in camp 45 minutes up the road having dinner not a single one of them made an effort to go well the the, the team in general didn't make an effort to go watch them play their opening test of the season so there's a lot of I guess there's a lot of aggravation and almost hostility building within this Wallaroos program in regard to the way that they're being treated by RA right now. And it'll uh, like, and I, what's come of it yesterday is just the starting point. Really. Um, I I've been told that they're expecting to meet with RA CEO Phil war in coming days. Some people on Twitter are questioning why it's taking that long. I guess with a World Cup on our doorstep, I'm sure Phil has quite a few things on his plate right now. But I have been made away, aware that that meeting is in direct response to this message that they've posted. So there are making steps. And, and as, as I said, there is an investigation under, in, underway into where the money came from, from to send up uh, a couple of girlfriends from Melbourne but all in all, it's just a terrible look. It's a terrible look that Rugby Australia social channels, rugby.com.au, reposted this TikTok and essentially said, look how good this is. Look at how we treat the girlfriends of players. Um, and I've been told that that was a direct, um, uh, that was a direct message from higher up to reshare that post. Meanwhile, uh, Georgie Friedrichs, husband uh flew out to Canada off his own volition off his own back there was no no payment or no help from RA there which I mean it's his choice choice to go out there but if you know equal equal standings um if RA are going to pay for a girlfriend why aren't they paying for a husband it's also been come to my attention world rugby actually paid for the economy flights for the Wallaroos to Canada and it was offered to RA that they just pony up the excess to get them into business class, and they said no. So it's there's a lot of stuff coming out here, and it's it's really not painting a good picture when it comes to RA. This isn't the first time we've seen something like this either. Uh, Annika Jamison, uh, co-founder of the Sports Collective, uh, earlier this year when the the Suwaliti deal was announced, and 
um, fairly scathing LinkedIn post around directed at Rugby Australia around the money that have been paid out to also certainly been uh, been found to recruit Joseph Suwali'i on what we think is around a $1.6 million deal for three and a half uh, or three and a quarter years or whatever when he starts at the back end of next year, potentially earlier. Um, now, that was, uh, she alleged that it was $10 million. Now, I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks it was $10 million unless you're a couple of reporters who write for the Daily Telegraph and like to stir things up. Um, so we, we've kind of seen this before, I guess, Christy, can you provide any more context as to what's transpired over the last 36 hours? Uh, look, I think uh, just a couple of things. I, I think I, I don't have a, it's, it's important not necessarily to put every one of the girlfriends into the, all partners into this category. And, and if it was, I, I spoke to Phil Wall yesterday afternoon. He didn't want to put anything out on the record until he was 100% sure of the events. Um, I spoke to Hamish McClendon about it too. Uh, and um, I know that the Wallaroos leadership group also spoke to Phil Wall yesterday too. Uh, so I don't think it's been something that has been... Um, I think the Wallaroos are quite rightly seizing the moment, and this is an important time for them to do that. It's a perfect time, and if they don't, if they didn't take this moment, I don't know if they necessarily would have had the momentum to be able to uh, enact important change. That's really important to state. I think, you know, who, who? It's right that there's an investigation. It shouldn't be that difficult to work out. By the way, uh, you'd hope that those findings are found pretty quickly. I don't think there's been that many I, I, that have been flown up, if indeed there has been any. But I also think it's important to address that these hotel rooms weren't purchased for any of the, the partners. Clearly, the, the Wallabies are, playing, uh, are staying in Sydney before they go overseas. Um, as for the TikTok, I, I, look, I don't have an issue with, with the, the partner posting a TikTok, absolutely agree that it's completely tone deaf for rugby.com to have reposted it or shared it or whatever they've done with it. I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that whatsoever. Um, as for going forward, clearly um, the private equity dollars that are around the, the, the corner and whether or not that's a private equity deal or a debt deal that they do is going to be significant in terms of giving much needed money to the entire Rugby, uh, rugby, Australian rugby landscape, and and women and women's rugby is central to that. I th uh, you know, that's been stressed by both Phil Wall and Hamish McLennan all year. Um, there was progress at the start of the year, uh, slight progress with 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 some contracts being paid for the Wallaroos. That's probably something that's somewhat slid under the radar over over recent months, and it hasn't necessarily been communicated over the last forty eight hours. Is that that, that was quite a historic breakthrough um, with government funding, much needed funding, and there needs to be much, much more going forward. Um, but clearly this is a cash-strapped union. You know, you, They're getting $30 million from a broadcast per year. Compare that to the rugby league, which is getting something like $400 million, uh, a year. The, the AFL is a $2.5 billion thing over a broadcast deal over seven years. So rugby has got a lot of mouths to feed they need to ensure going forward with a home world cup in 2029 that that resources are not just allocated but are thrown towards uh, women's rugby so that they can seize their moment like the Matildas have done to get to a point in time where they actually challenge for the world cup haven't they the Matildas weren't just participants made a semi-final uh, that captured the hearts of not just Australians but I think the world too the Wallaroos, it's it's clearly it's a different ballpark. It's not the world game like soccer, like football is, but there's a huge opportunity to over the next, what is it, five, six years to have a great runway. And that starts from not in three years' time, five years' time. That starts from hopefully in the coming days, uh, where there should you'd hope that there's some form of um not just an agreement and and something that is kept privately behind closed doors, but the public is told about where they're going. And clearly patience is a word that um, Britt just spoke about there. The women have been patient, uh, very patient. Uh, they're frustrated now. They're not going to get anywhere by not saying anything. Uh, I think all power to the women for saying things right now. Um, and 
we know what the women's sevens side did when they turned professional and and they won a gold medal and you'd hope that there were 15 aside women's Wallaroos team off the back of a stronger Super W uh, competition can continue to go that way. But uh, in terms of the next 24 hours, I think it's important that, that Rugby Australia, and I think there's been roof of meetings today. There was one this morning. I think there's going to be another one this afternoon. This is Monday talking. Um, it's important that there is some form of action and that the public is brought along with it. Yeah, patience is, is the big word, Brittany. And I'll I'll just ask you, at what point is do you think the patience is is going to run out? You, you've mentioned um, the number of players who uh, jump across to NRLW. I think more than ever again this year. Some will come back, uh, Grace Grace will, but there's some that are gone and probably will never return at this point in time. You think around your your Emmontonagados. Um, yeah, Millie Boyle is clearly, I think, entrenched in, in the NRLW now and, and a handful more. Um, even some Black Ferns sevens uh, have come across this year. Gail Broughton springs to mind. So that competition you would think is only going to expand to the full, um, what have we got, 17 teams now in the NRL um, in the coming years. So uh, patience, one thing, but also racing the clock that, um, with the way the AFLW is surging along, and there, you know, there's certainly some criticism of that code, and and it's not just a a rugby thing either. We we know this has been a, a problem for for all codes, um, and we've seen how far that with some investment, um, how far the cricketers and the Matildas have come on. The Matildas have just made a a semi final, as Christy mentioned, and and the cricketers lose one game out of about every fifty, it seems. Um, given the talent that they've, they've got going and the success of the WBBL. And, and that's really a, a broadcast winner as well. Um, but Rugby Australia are on the clock here, aren't they? Because they're going to be last ones at the table and there's going to be no uh, no one sitting there to, to come and play rugby. Um, they'll, the Sevens program is going to remain attractive because of the opportunity um, that it, it, uh, it offers to go to an Olympics. But um if world rugby don't get this right and get it right pronto, then, you know, women's rugby might never recover in this country. Yeah, exactly. There's um, quite a few girls. I I'm, I tend not to flick on the rugby league too often, but every now and then I might see a few clips come up on Twitter or something and, you know, top five tries of the round. And I, I'll sit and watch that and it feels like there's a rugby player who's involved in every single one of them. Pauline Pillier is running around. You've got, um, uh, Grace Camp running around. There's there's a few a few names, and unfortunately, I, I don't think we're going to get any some of those girls back. Um, at the moment, I think I think Rugby Australia might hold on for the next few months because we do have the WXV tournament coming up uh, in October, and that will that's the first one being played out. Will be over in New Zealand. Uh, these the Wallaroos will get the chance to play against England, France, uh, and I believe Wales, um, which is a, a massive opportunity for them. But once that's all said and done, uh, they then they go hit back into a what seems like a never-ending Super W season, uh, Super W pre-season, which then hits into a four or five-week Super W season. And then there's just a massive gap of not a whole lot going on. Um and that's where you're going to find that pitfall of of players moving to the NRLW because there's money. Uh, you're playing a professional sport, um, and and you you you're going to stay fit. So I think if they haven't got something sorted in the next few months, uh, a deal on the table for the next year coming up, it's really they're really going to struggle. It's at, at the moment. Um, Millie Boyle said it. Uh, this morning as well and it, and it's something that I've kind of witnessed over the last few months last year or so uh, it's a bit of a cannibalization within women's sport especially between league and union they are a similar sport they are a similar code and if you don't have the opportunity at club level um, you know the Jack Scott Cup is the the Sydney comparison to the shoot shield uh, East just uh, your your favourite, Brucie. Uh, East just got up over Sydney Uni to win the title. On the Beastie um, Girls. Yeah. And so they're playing in, in 
like our the women's comparison of the shoot shield which is it's good but it's not the same level as a professional comp and it's the same issue that the men's have we don't have that third tier um and so that's obviously an issue when it comes to international level when we compete at that stage but when you have the ability to play for a local league team a local league club team and they could pay you $500 or so um, throughout the season or more. It's a lot more charming to (laughs) jump across to there, play there for a few weeks, few months, get picked up by the NRLW and go that route than it is to sit uh, in the Jack Scott Cup, potentially be overlooked because there is a lot of agendas that go on in rugby, but that's a different ball game. And, and then, you know, you play a few weeks at super W level, uh, get paid maybe 5k or so if you're just on a a small contract and um, that's your your season done. So yeah, there's a lot going on here. The RA are in, you know, they're in a a bind. They need to get something going. Otherwise it's, it's it's one of Phil Wall's first really big test. He's not been in the job for very long, but this is a a big pivotal moment uh, which can shape the direction of Australian rugby going forward. And and it's, it's a significant one and, and how he, uh, what kind of action he provides and what kind of leadership he provides will be, will be telling. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And uh, the people in the positions of power at rugby Australia, not just Phil war, but the board and uh, head of women's rugby as well. Um, As I said, I think it's, uh, Time's fast running out, um, trickling through the the hourglass. It's down to its final strands of uh, grains of sand. Um, and look, a, a lot of it may come down to this private equity injection. Clearly, the Wallabies are going to be front and centre right now, but you can't help think that this is the kick up the backside. Rugby Australia needed, uh, and uh, the Waller is saying, look, um, pretty much now or never, um, because you can understand their frustrations. So uh, we will follow that with interest uh, over the coming week or so. Uh, all right, Christy, mate, thank you again. Safe travels. I, I, on... I better go pack the bags, yeah. Yeah, QF1 uh, to you. Uh, I'll see you up there in about, uh, what are we, uh, 10, uh, 14 days? Yeah, it's probably 15 days' time. So you uh, you prefer the rosé, and I'll, I'll see you for a cheeky glass soon. Britt, thanks for jumping on here to finish us off uh, today with the insights into the Wallaroos. As we said, an important story, and uh, one we'll continue to cover. See you later. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Tracy. Cheers.